Hi everyone, my name is Catherine and I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 27, verses 45 to 56, and you'll find that on page 999 of your Bibles. So I'll just give you a minute. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Good morning, everyone. Very warm welcome to you. If you are a visitor with us, my name is Bruce Clark, the Senior Minister, and it's great to have you here as we celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a simple but profound verse, and then I'm going to pray for us as we start. The Apostle Paul says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can come this morning and celebrate and reflect on what is such an enormous event that took place in history. May you transform our lives and may we we receive its power this day In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus dies. That's why we're here this morning, Good Friday. We're here to reflect upon a death. And death may not be a topic that I think many Australians by choice would seek to dwell upon. Uh, We don't experience death today like we used to so many years ago when people died at home and it was fairly commonplace that you would grow up and experience it in the household. 
Now it's something that takes place in hospitals and nursing homes where it's sanitised and it's removed from us in many ways. And when it does occur, it can be shocking, uh, it's confronting, and even when a loved one who has reached uh, a very old age dies, there's still the great shock and loss of the abruptness and the reality that that person is no longer with us and we're not prepared for it. And yet here we are today celebrating a death. It's that of Jesus the Nazareth, the carpenter's boy, who was executed nearly 2,000 years ago. And he had a short but yet remarkable life. He was born into poverty of a young country couple. But at the age of 33, his life was cut abruptly short, brought to an end by a conspiracy between the religious leaders of the day and the Roman rulers. And it's worth saying, none of us here were close to Jesus at the time of his death. I suspect none of us are related to the Lord Jesus. In fact, I think probably most of us are not of Jewish background at all. All of us at one level are complete strangers to him and to his family. Yet here we are. And not just us, because across the world, billions will stop and remember this death on this day. Why? Why is this death of Jesus of Nazareth and his brutal execution seen as good news? Why is it so significant that this one death over against all other deaths through history is the one that stops the world? And the simple answer is this that I want to explore this morning. People through history have said that when they've understood the events of this day and they've believed the miracle that took place in those hours of Jesus' death, they've been transformed by it. And as Paul said in the reading I had at the very beginning, yes, some people think it's foolishness, but to us who believe, it actually is the power of God. Now, there's no doubt transformation is a big idea uh, in the world that we live in. You only have to look at uh, Australia's Biggest Loser and to see Michelle Bridges. And if you go on her website, one of the things you'll find is you can do a 12-week body transformation program all for just $240. She promises to change your life. Now, she's not the only one. She's just one that is very well known. Uh, There's all sorts of people and programs that peddle transformation in our world today. Interestingly, most of them in the Western world talk about external transformation. Our bodies and our weight and our shape. There's the paleo diet, the sugar-free diet, the CSIRO diet, and there used to be the Atkins diet. There's CrossFit, there's boot camps. You name it, there's some way you can transform your life. Now, the fascinating thing is my wife, who's a nurse, went off to... uh, a kind of uh, post-education training day that she has to do to keep her uh, nursing hours up. And the particular issue was about diet and about weight loss. And she said the studies have shown 95% of people put the weight back on whatever they lose in one to five years. They just don't work. And so as you think about transformation, as you think about the death of our Lord Jesus and what I'm talking about today... What I want to say is I'm not talking about a quick fix that gives you joy for a season. But down the track, this religious fix becomes a passing fad. It's something that you abandon for some other new thing that you discover. No, the transformation that Jesus brings is deep, it's powerful, 
and it is profound. It will change your whole outlook on life. And it's worth saying it is eternal what we're talking about today. The events of the cross can change people's lives for eternity. And this transformation that Jesus brings has been across all the ages. From the day he died until today, people throughout the ages have testified to the way that this Jesus who died for them has changed their life. It's across all cultures. It's across all races. It's across all tongues. His name will be celebrated in languages across the world this day. It's across all classes, from convicted prisoners to heads of government, from tradies to leaders of industry, from young children to ageing senior citizens. The message of the cross is one that gives hope, it's one that brings forgiveness, it's one that heals broken lives, it's one that turns selfish lives around so that people lead lives of meaning and purpose and service of the good of others. And it's the testimony of real people. And in my ministry as a minister, I've seen so many countless people change from so many different walks of life. He's changed my own life. And the common thread through all of it is, people will say, Jesus died for me. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, I want us to think about three things in thinking about being transformed by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ today. And if you're here this morning and this is the first time you've walked in, this is a great day to be here because this is the heart of the Christian faith. It's the heart of our hope. It's the heart of our belief. But to be transformed, we need to understand the events of the cross. What took place there? Secondly, we need to believe the miracle of the cross, what God was doing there at the cross that day. And thirdly, we need to respond, we actually need to receive the Christ of this cross into our life. Well, firstly, we need to understand the events of the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's boy, as he goes to die, is an innocent man. And this fact needs to be understood. Unlike all of humanity, us included, who are sinful, who are broken, who do rebel... Jesus was sinless. And when he died, he did not die for his sins. And yet despite his innocence, he was killed like a common criminal. The two key things that really sealed his fate and put the nails in the coffin, so to speak, were two significant actions that took place intentionally by the Lord Jesus in the final week of his life. If you're familiar with the story of Easter, you'll know that in the week preceding, he arranged for an unridden cult to be delivered to him. And this donkey, he rode into the city of Jerusalem. Now, that not, might not mean much to us, but it was a very famous and a very specific prophecy that was uttered by the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. And it said, the king of Israel will enter the city on this unridden cult. And in the week before Jesus' death, he arranged for this to take place and for him to ride the cult in because he wanted to communicate in one of the most visual ways to all of the city, the king has come. When he came into the city, 
he came to the temple. And you see, the temple was the place, it was God's temple. And he came in there and did an outrageous act to the religious leaders of the day. He overturned the tables of the priests. And what he was saying as he came into this temple is, this is my place. And I'm coming here to clean it up and to rule. And the people of the day, well, they didn't like this. They knew what he was claiming. That here was the king who was coming to his city and to his temple. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And in the narrative that Matthew records for us, we have this cry, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked the crowd and they all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. He was an innocent man who was beaten and mocked. And you see, he's handed over to the Romans for crucifixion. And the soldiers take charge of him. And they hear the dialogue that's been going forth, that this man claims to be a king, that he claims to rule. And so they dress him up. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. It would have probably been one of the Roman rulers or leaders' outfits. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They put a staff in his hand. They dress him up as a mock king. And then they kneel down in front of him. And they mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spat on him. And they took the staff that they'd put in his hand and they struck him on the head again and again and again. Oh, he thinks he's a king. And later the crowds who passed by, they mocked him. The chief priests, they mocked him. The teachers of the law, they mocked him. The elders of the nation, well, they came and they mocked him. Oh yes, the king has come. It's amazing how they had not read their Bibles. Isaiah, 800 years prior, Isaiah the prophet of the people of God, had foretold that the king would come, but he would be a suffering servant. And Isaiah 53 is one of the most profound and accurate depictions and prophecies about the coming of our Lord Jesus and of the Easter story. And we read there that Isaiah had already predicted this. He was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah said 800 years before. He would be a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And he was crucified. The gospel accounts don't give many details at this point, but they all paint a common, simple picture. The text simply reads that after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And crucifixion was the ancient world's summum supplicium. That's Latin for the ultimate penalty. It was a gruesome and horrific way to die that was designed to both humiliate the offender as they were stretched out in public at Golgotha, which translated means the place of the skull, 
And it was also designed to be one that would prolong the agony. It was so horrific that no Roman citizen of the day was allowed to be crucified unless there was a direct edict from Caesar himself. But among the Jews, God's people, the horror of the cross was actually greater still. Because in the Old Testament, Moses wrote, anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And so the people of God in the day, time of Jesus, understood that to mean if you were crucified, you died cursed by God. And you see this pretender king, who they thought was blasphemous, they called for crucifixion, they wanted him cursed by God. Little did they know what they were asking for, that he would die cursed by God in our place. What's remarkable is that when the crucifixion is described It is not reflected on much. It is just they crucified him. What is described is the events that surround the crucifixion. You see, the physical suffering, they all knew the harsh and horrific reality of it. And so the gospel writers really make passing mention of it. They record it as a fact. But what they do give us in some detail are the events that surround the crucifixion. And you see, when Jesus died, he died as the king of the Jews for those who have eyes to hear, eyes to see. Pilate, really against the wishes of the Jewish people, nailed upon his head a sign. And John's Gospel records that it was written in Greek, it was written in Latin, it was written in Hebrew. In other words, it was written in the language of the day so that the whole world will know the king of the Jews This is the King of the Jews. And you see, Jesus was crucified as the King. His throne was the cross. And he died in the company of sinners, this King. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the ones that he showed the most love for were those on the margins of society, those who were broken. Those who were written off by the establishment and the religious leaders as the sinners of the day. And one of the most remarkable things about the Lord Jesus is he was described as a friend of sinners. And that was said with great warmth by those who were sinners and with great derision and sarcasm by those who were the religious people of the day. He loves them. He hangs out with them. And so it's no surprise that in his death he dies with them, one on his right and one on his left. And he died abandoned by God. And for me, this is the most striking feature of the gospel narrative. In his hour of need, the one who had been with him through his whole journey had been his father in heaven. But yet it's recorded that from noon... Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all through his life, from childhood to this very hour at the cross, the Father had been with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And there'd been an incredible intimacy of relationship as Jesus would pray to his father. And you see that all through the gospel records. But yet at his time of greatest need, there is no loving father that he looks up and finds in heaven. But rather he sees God pouring out his wrath, forsaking him. God was nowhere to be seen in love. And you see, this is the story of Good Friday. Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's boy, the miracle worker loved by the crowds, dies as an innocent man for his claim to be king. And he was beaten and mocked before being led out to the place of the skull where they nailed him to a cross and slowly and painstakingly killed him, symbolic of being under God's curse. And he died with sinners, and he died with his heavenly father nowhere to be seen or heard. And it's a very sobering event in the record books of history. And you may well ask, how does this gruesome event transform a life? Is it because it's an incredible act of sacrifice, and love, and some would say yes, that this is the ultimate sacrifice given, but you see, that doesn't really explain the extraordinary power that this story has to transform a person's life for good. Many people have laid down their life for others in the most heroic of circumstances, but yet they are not celebrated by the world. And even if you think about the Anzac sacrifice and the Anzac celebrations that will take place here across the country as we celebrate 100 years in just a few weeks' time, we will remember the sacrifice and the ultimate sacrifice of so many men who gave their lives, but yet what we're remembering is lest we forget, lest we forget the horror of war is what Anzac Day is about lest we forget the sacrifice that brought peace. But I don't think I'm being disrespectful in saying there's no one particular person who gave their life in the war that we honour above another and whom the world stops for and the world celebrates. So how do we be transformed by the cross? Well, we need to believe the miracle of the cross because, you see, what was happening was just not natural events of anger and rage and jealousy and power, and of claims to kingship. No, there's a supernatural event that takes place on this day. And there's a miracle that takes place at the cross. And the first thing is, as we think about the supernatural event of the cross, and as we see God at work and the Lord Jesus Christ himself confronting the very face of evil and human rebellion... The first thing to note is that as Jesus dies, God's judgment descends. There is a reality that all of us will face God. And there will be a judgment for all humanity. There's a day of reckoning that we must take account of in our own lives. And the Bible's very clear, all of us will fail on that day for all have sinned. And as Jesus died, God's judgment descended upon his son. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. 
darkness descended in the middle of the day. Uh, This is no, if I can say, solar eclipse. It was during the Passover festival, which, if I can say, is very similar to us with the Easter weekend. It is a lunar festival. It is always celebrated at the full moon. Now, the darkness that came that day was an act of judgment by God. He literally was turning the lights out on the world as his judgment was poured out on his son. As he drank the cup of God's wrath as the innocent one on our behalf. And you see, as Jesus died, it wasn't just the judgment descend. Heaven's doors opened. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, he died. And at that moment, that very moment, what was recorded was that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the curtain of the temple was this incredibly impressive and large curtain which literally separated the people of God from the inner sanctuary in the temple where God dwelt. And the priest was allowed to go in there to make sacrifice for the people and the temple curtain symbolised the fact that we were separate from him. And yet on this day and hour of Jesus' death, this temple curtain literally is torn in two. Because what was happening was the doors of heaven were being opened in a way that had never been experienced before. And the miracle of Easter and of the cross is that with the death of Christ, death is defeated. Sin is paid for as the judgment of God was poured out and heaven's doors open. And the Father calls people to come into his family through what was done on the cross. And new life is on offer. Matthew is the only gospel writer to record this. It doesn't mean it's made up. It just means it was a special note of witness that he had. And there were others that witnessed it and its credibility. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Uh, Let me just unpack that description. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. The very foundations of creation shook. And you see, because something monumental was taking place in the heavenly realms, death and evil and the devil and sin were being destroyed. And it literally shook the earth. And tombs broke open. And with the resurrection on the Sunday, bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. We think that's probably the prophets. Now, they didn't rise to life on Good Friday. They came to life on Easter Sunday. But the earthquake and the shaking and the splitting of the rocks and the tombs breaking open happened with Jesus' death. And you see, there is a shaking of the world at the cross. 
because new life now flows. And when Jesus rose from the dead, all those who come to him, he pours out his spirit and he offers new life. You see, why does the death of our Lord Jesus Christ change us? Because at the cross, we no longer have to face the impending doom of judgment. But we actually discover a God who loves us. And as Max said earlier, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. At the cross, we discover a God who wipes away sin and brings forgiveness. At the cross, we find a God who calls us home because heaven's doors are now open. At the cross, we find that the price has been paid. And he was cursed for us, and we receive in our place grace, hope, forgiveness, and love. And you see, when you understand the cross and you believe what was done for you, you'll never be the same. If you truly understand and believe that he died for you and for me, it will humble you. The Son of God died in my place on the cross. If that won't humble you, I don't know what will. It will bring you to your knees as you realize that he's paid the punishment for you. But it will thrill you at the same time as you realize that you've been welcomed in and brought back from death and from judgment. And it will fill your soul with joy. It will give you a new identity. You're no longer defined by your job or your addictions or your sins. You're actually now a child of the living God. That's who you are. You see, at the cross, we discover our acceptance, our identity when we believe the miracle of what was done for us. Which leads me to say the third thing. What do we need to do? We need to be transformed by receiving the Christ of the cross. And Matthew finishes the account of Jesus' death this way. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. And you see, when you understand what took place that day, and you believe the miracle of what was done for you. I think there's two responses that are right. There's one that is awe. It really should humble us. There should be a holy fear of God as we realise how awesome he is and what he's done for us. It should break all pride in our hearts that we think we're something. It should make us confess our sins. But also it should draw us to confess Christ as our King. Surely he was the Son of God. And I want to ask you a simple question. What do you see when you see Jesus dying on the cross? Do you just see a man who was a carpenter's boy who died an unjust death that looks incredibly heroic and sacrificial? 
Or do you see the Son of God who was reconciling the world to the Father through his death in your place? And do you actually believe that? That the God of the universe so loves you that he sent his only son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That is the message and the power of the cross for those who will believe. And if you've never received this King, this Christ, as your Lord and your Saviour, I want to invite you to do it this morning, right now. If you don't know where you are with God, but you'd like to know. If you don't know if your sins have been forgiven, but you'd like to have them forgiven. If you know the reality of being away from God, yet you'd like to now be brought home to God. It's very simple. We just need to admit that we've blown it with God and sinned and been away from him and lived our own life, our own way. And we need to believe what Christ has done for us and commit our life to him. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite us to say this prayer together that I've got on the screen. And let us be transformed by believing the miracle of what he did in our place on that day so many years ago that brings us hope, forgiveness and grace. Let us pray. And if you'd like to join me in committing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, pray this prayer on the screen along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, this day I confess I have sinned and wandered from your path. I believe that Jesus died for me and my sin. Please forgive me. I receive you as my King and Saviour this day. Amen. Dave's going to come up and sing an item for us, for us just to continue to reflect upon this incredible miracle of grace, the death of our Lord Jesus.